The world was void. The populous and the powerful was a lump. Seasonless, herbless, treeless, manless, lifeless. A lump of death, a chaos of hard clay. Ships, sailorless, lay rotting on the sea, and their masts fell down piecemeal. As they dropped, they slept on the abyss without a surge. The waves were dead. The tides were in their grave. The moon, their mistress, had expired before. The winds withered in the stagnant air, and the clouds perished. Darkness had no need of aid from them. She was the universe. Hello and welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, a very giant Matthew. And uh, as always, I am joined by... A very tiny Scott. A very tiny Scott. Uh, so our webcams are a bit different this week, if you're watching on video. Uh, it's because mine is quite zoomed in, because I've been doing a lot of streaming, uh, and I think it looks better when it's zoomed in. Scott's webcam can't zoom in, so he's just a very small man far away, and I'm much bigger. Um, it's, it's, it's this interesting dynamic, I think. Uh, very small, very small man talking to a very big man about Doctor Who, uh, which is ironic, because in real life, Scott's like 12 foot tall. Um, but this week we are looking at The Haunting of Villa Diodati, uh, which I think is how you pronounce it, uh, a Jodie Whittaker episode, probably one of the best episodes of series 12, and probably one of be- the best Jodie episodes altogether, uh, really, uh, and this episode first aired on February 16th, 2020, which was a Sunday, and at the time of recording, a staggering two years, six months, and one day ago. God uh, damn it. <laughs> you know time just zips by it just uh, it just sips through your fingers and this was just when the pandemic 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 <laughs> what's a fucking word pandemic <laughs> how did you forget the word pandemic okay we've been sitting here for like 40 minutes trying to set up and there's been a lot of technical issues and my brain is just fried right now pandemic <laughs> But yeah, um, this episode aired just as the pandemic started. The plandemic. Is, uh, <laughs> I said pandemic. Leave me I know, alone. I know. I said plandemic. Yeah. Uh, at this time, the U.S. president, although not for much longer, was one Donald J. Trump, uh, who's currently having the most hilarious year <laughs> in the world right now. Um, I hope he gets arrested. And the U.K. prime minister who, for mu- not much longer, was Boris Johnson. Both these, well, one of them's already out the door, the other one is going out the door about next month. Actually, in like two weeks' time, we'll have a mm. new shitter prime minister. You didn't yeah. think it could get worse than Boris, but, oh boy, the next two have really made themselves look so much worse. We didn't think it would get worse in May, but, you know, <laughs> by comparison, <laughs> May was just the best. I miss her. I miss her. Uh, could you guess, Scott, what is the number one film in... The twenty, the sixteenth of February, two thousand twenty. What is raking in the cash right now? Uh, famously, a very bad year for movies because all movie theaters mm-hmm. shut down. It was a very um, good year for a certain movie. God, um, I can't think of any twenty twenty movies that might have come out to this time. It, it it came out at the perfect time, and I think is technically one of the highest grossing movies, if not the highest grossing movie of twenty twenty. 
Nope. Don't have it. <laughs> it's 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 a video game movie. Oh, Sonic. Sonic. Okay. Sonic is number one at the box office and is making so much fucking money. Yeah. Uh, and because it came, it was like the last film before the pandemic happened and the lockdown happened, it like just fucking made all the money compared to everything else. Um, and the sequel did well as well. Uh, yeah. I've, I've seen both films. They're fine. They're fine family films. You know, they're nothing amazing and there's quite a lot of bad shit in it, but they're enjoyable fluff for the family, you know? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. But it looks fun, you know. Jim Carrey is all yeah. 90s mode. He looks fun. Yeah, he's fun. Yeah, it's and... fun. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's not great. It's fine. It's a kids film about Sonic the Hedgehog, and he flosses, and it's fine. <laughs> uh, it's, it's about what you would expect for a Sonic movie, I'd think. Yeah, the sequel's got a lot more fun Sonic stuff, but it also doubles down on the really bad human stuff. So it's like a double helping of both things that were good and bad in the last film. Um but hey what's, what's so- the guy's name again um cyclops played cyclops yeah um yeah i don't know his name james Mar masters masters sure something like that yeah, yeah. He, he he's a weird actor you don't see him much but when you do it's like oh yeah you're in this film <laughs> he's in he's in a lot of kids films he does a lot of kids films and he's wasn't, also cyclops weirdly wasn't wasn't he the dude in hop yeah 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 he's in a lot of weird stuff where he's got like a cgi companion you know <laughs> Uh, but nothing else happened on this day. And as I turn my eye back to history, you'll find fuck all happened in history as well. I, I am almost certain February 16th is the most boring day to ever, ever, to ever. It's just the most boring day. Because I was looking through so much, like, oh, this is all the stuff that happened. And, like, all of it was like, I, this isn't even interesting. Why are you telling me? Oh, a sport thing happened. Who gives a shit? You know, but what we've got is three things, right? The first thing happens in 1861 when Abraham Lincoln stops his train at Westfield on his way to Washington to thank an 11 year old called Grace Bedell in person for her advice for him to grow a beard to get more votes, Uh, which fair dues. She probably won that guy the election and Lincoln, you know, probably goes on to do some interesting things. Uh, (laughs) Then nothing happens of note until 2019 where Pope Francis defrocks an ex-cardinal and Archbishop of Washington, Theodore McCarrick, for sexually abusing minors and adults. This is the first cardinal to be removed for sexual abuse. And this is in here because, one, yeah, yeah, that's pretty decent getting rid of this guy because of sexual abuse, whatever, is fucking long overdue. But second, it's fucked because this is happening in 2019. It was like 2003 when yeah. all the abuse stuff came out. And this is the first guy to go down for it. And I don't know how many people have actually gone down for it after him, you know? Uh, love the Catholic Church, great people. Then we jump to 2021 where Athens and parts of Greece are covered in unusual heavy snowfall. I'm uh, sure that's nothing to worry about. Uh, we say as we're coming out of our second huge heat wave this summer yeah. uh, in Scotland, you know, uh, absolutely nothing to worry about weather-wise. And that's that's all that happened on February 16th. It is the most boring day in history, and there's nothing interesting to talk about at all. What a I disappointing mean, day. I mean, it's like two days after Valentine's Day, so nobody's going out there being like, oh my god, I'm going to start a war or kill <laughs> this dude or something, you know? Yeah, Valentine's uh, uh, Day stops wars. <laughs> yes <laughs> and um valentine's day gives us uh doctor who apparently almost <laughs> weirdly spooky themed episodes of doctor who 
Yeah. It's a strange uh, the... to come out in February, this like spooky episode. Yeah, it was a strange thing to air this season in January and February because not a lot of people were watching TV during those months, really. Mm-hmm. They're all going back to work or going back to school, trying to get organized and shit, but. Hey, whatever. Uh, this episode was directed by Emma Sullivan, who started directing short films in 2004, and she earned a lot of awards for these films. Uh, between 2012 and 2014, uh, her first professional TV gigs were Holby City and Doctors, which are really long, long-running British yeah. soap operas on BBC One. Uh, any familiarity with these shows? No, only by name. I, I, I do not watch soap operas. I never have. They have never interested me in any little way. Uh, so I've, I've never seen an episode. I just know the name of them because they've been around for so long, you know? Yeah, well, this is a very soap opera-centric episode of Doctor Who, because <laughs> um, you'll, you'll see later. In 2017, she started right as uh, She t- directed a few episodes of The Four O'Clock Club, which is apparently a CBBC show. Which I know nothing about. Never heard of it, no. And in 2020, she directed two Doctor Who episodes, Can You Hear Me? and obviously this episode. Can You uh, Hear Me? What episode's that? Can You Hear Me? is a mental health episode with a guy with spooky hands. It was the episode of... before this one. Uh, spooky hands. That uh, sounds familiar. His, his fingers detached from his body and his fingers go into the ears of people yeah that was a weird episode yeah i i barely i remember the i remember that i don't really remember much of the overarching plot but yeah uh, the, the the episode itself is written kind of poorly but the direction of that episode is really spooky and is this episode that ends with uh, the doctor basically being awkward around graham because he's like Oh, I think yeah, I might die of cancer. Right. And she's like, oh, I'm just going to stand over here because I feel too awkward. About Literally this. the worst moment of her entire run. Like, yeah. just horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, non, n- not the fault of the director. She did a great job in that episode. It's one of the best looking episodes of that season, I think. And currently she's directing One Piece, the live action One oh, Piece wow. show. Uh, wow. She, I think she's directing the two Sanji episodes, which is like, it's set on a restaurant in the middle of the sea is is a good arc of the anime if you've ever seen the anime i have never seen the anime uh there's too many episodes for me to bother watching it um there's only yeah. like a thousand there's not that much <laughs> <laughs> i struggle with 12 episode animes i'm gonna never get through a thousand episodes um, yeah it, it's insane how long one piece has been running but her directing a few episodes of the live action series gives me a bit more optimism Nah, we'll see. Live action anime never really works. I don't understand why you would want to adapt adapt a live action thing from an anime uh, because it's in anime because that's where it's best formatted for. But uh, I'll yeah, I'll I check s- out at least an episode. But yeah, especially doing One Piece in live action, like the yeah. whole point of One Piece is it's funny drawings. Yeah, when, it's when- like really exaggerated cartoon yeah. people, isn't it? You know, yeah. Uh, so the writer of this episode was Maxine Alderton and. She started her career in 2006 by being a continuity person for Emmerdale. Then she became a script editor for Emmerdale. And then she wrote 124 episodes of Emmerdale between 2013 and Christ. Now, which is a lot of fucking TV. That's so much Emmerdale, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's basically the only thing she did before Doctor Who. And she... I've, I've never watched Emmerdale and you haven't either... I, I see bits of it here and there whenever I'm in my mum's living room or whatever. 
but I did watch one episode. Um, it was an interesting premise of a character with dementia, and he kind of returns to his hometown and his, and he's kind of getting in a confused state. And we see it through his point of view. It's a really good episode, but aired around sound, Christmas. Sounds like the, sounds like the film The Father, starring Hannibal. Who's yeah. Um, God names today. Um. um <laughs> Um, uh, Anthony Hopkins. Am I right? Anthony Hopkins. Uh, I, I don't know where my brain is today. <laughs> which is an amazing film. If you've not seen The Father, it came out in like 2020, I think, uh, mm. maybe 2021. And is is it's he, he's got dementia, and it's from his perspective, and it's fucking harrowing and so good, and it's got uh, Mark Gatiss in it as well. Oh. Uh, that's a nice little lovely doctor who connection yeah yeah uh, but uh, this episode of armadale was really good like they cast different actors as characters so just to add to the confusion they actually that they do sh- that they do that they do that in in uh the father as well where there's oh, multiple I, characters playing the same person yeah i, I guess they stole it from armadale <laughs> they must have it sounds shockingly similar and there's what? a point where he's like at a shop and he's looking down at his money but all he, he the, the money is like alien to him it's like circular objects instead interesting it's, it's a really good episode of armadale I, I don't know how i managed to watch it but it was really good i think it's on youtube hmm. uh she wrote a few episodes of the worst witch and obviously doctor who the haunting of this episode and she wrote the village of angels which was the best episode to come that was out of the flux. best episode out of flux by far yeah that was and, a really good episode I hope Russell C. Davis has taken notes because, you know, this episode, the Cyberman episode, is the best episode of series 12. And the Angel episode is the best episode of series yeah. 13. And they're both very good horror centric episodes. And hopefully, she writes more. Yeah, she seems to have a knack for writing spooky sci fi episodes. So, um, I remember when this episode first came out, uh, she got a lot of controversy because she had only written soap operas before. Which, which I think is bullshit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to write a soap opera. Like, a thing that people don't understand with soap operas is they are getting written and shot and, like, edited in, like, a week. Like, the yeah. turnaround on soap operas is fucking insane. Like, she wrote 113 scripts for, like, you know, the, those episodes she did. Guaranteed, most of those scripts were, like, first or second draft. Like, you just have to go. You have to be constantly on it. It seems like, like the most stressful gig possible. So, like, uh, to be like, you can't write, you're on a... Like, you have to be good at writing if you're writing a soap opera because you can't afford to redo it, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Russell T. Davis and Terrence Dakes, who are big Doctor Who names, also wrote for soap operas. So I don't see any flack against them. It's very odd this one woman gets flack against writing a soap opera. It's very strange. Um, yeah. But she actually points out to how her writing for soap was a great prep for writing Doctor Who. She says, you're constantly writing in soap, so you're constantly using that muscle. We're used to changes like characters not being available, having to rewrite a scene with someone else, hitting tight deadlines. We're very flexible and very much bomb-proof. Um, another controversy that came from this episode is that it's a lot like some big Finnish audio dramas where the eighth Doctor actually has Mary Shelley as a companion. And mm. one of these stories has her meet the Cyberman, which then inspires her to write uh, Frankenstein. Frankenstein, yeah. So 
I, 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 I think it's a fair enough uh, concept to imagine on your own because you're thinking about the birth of science fiction. You're thinking of Mary Shelley and, of course, Cyberman and Frankenstein go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty ridiculous to complain about that. Well, uh, you know, they are, like, it is basically the same idea. Like, it's extremely similar. Uh, but it's it, amazingly, it is possible for two people to have the same idea. You know, it's it's not like, uh, as you were saying, you know, it's not like Mary Shelley and Cyberman is too big of a leap to combine. It's a pretty obvious connection to make, you know, with the, the Cyberman mythos and who Mary Shelley is. It's like, of course, if you have a time machine, you're like, oh, we're going to see the lady that made Frankenstein. What's a really good Frankenstein alien that we could stick in here? Yeah, the Cyberman, you know, uh, it's just it's it's the obvious first pick. And for the, like, the three, this is, like, part one, technically, yeah. of the three-part finale, like, you know, it's, it's, the Cyberman plays into a larger plot point, really. I think, I think people just like to complain about shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, people do love like, to complain. Whenever you're on Twitter and you're on Doctor Who, you're on the Doctor Who side of Twitter, it's always people complaining about this, that, or whatever, just so ridiculous sometimes. Yeah, but, I mean, what are you gonna do? That's why the internet was made. Uh, but basically, she watched every revival episode in preparation of this of writing this episode, and she focused mainly on the Cyberman episodes, of course. Mm-hmm. And she's very pa- pa- she's actually very passionate about Mary Shelley because it was the birth of science fiction, and she wanted to do an episode around her. Uh, the episode has a big cast, which which obviously she's used to because soap operas have like twenty five main characters, my dude. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which is kind of a problem with a lot of Chibnall episodes. I think a lot of Chibnall era episodes have a big cast with people standing around with nothing to do. Whereas here, I think this episode balances the cast a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's definitely some members of the cast that don't really do anything, you know? Um, and even companion-wise, I mean, it's the issue with... Um, these three companions anyway is that none of them really do fucking anything yeah. uh and don't really help in any way whatsoever they're just kind of bumbling around or get graham's the most helpful i think <laughs> if i'm remembering correctly but he's, he's always the best one um yeah but i think it does fine there was never a moment where i was like oh i wish i knew more about this character because the ones that they get the screen time are the interesting ones that get fleshed out and the other ones are just kind of there you know like, like if you compare this episode to like an episode of Doctor Who Flux, where Kate Stewart suddenly pops up because she's connected to the Snake Man running unit, and she's just standing around in the background doing nothing, I, I, I think this episode handles its main cast of characters a lot more. I don't know. The Snake Man stuff was pretty, pretty uh, excellent. It was like the the greatest written i mean like he would like created unit and then was like doing something with it i wasn't really clear sh- on whatever or how he got to earth in the first place but or why he was doing it but like it, he was like a snake guy uh <laughs> so he was a snake guy and he did snake stuff yeah yeah and, like what else and, could and you ask had, for he had gray hair <laughs> yeah i'm telling you it's the best storyline in flux and and obviously we criticize Chibnall quite a bit, but well, you more so. You you I, criticize him every fucking half sentence. I really do. I I every episode I mention Chibnall, which is yeah. insane. But basically, I think the best part about Chibnall is that he's able to recognize good talent who's never written an episode of science fiction before, 
and obviously Alderton got a great episode here and apparently she had very little notes about this episode. She got a lot of free reign to do whatever she wanted and this episode is really good for that, I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, shall we dip into the the haunting, the haunting of... of Villa Diodati? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Indeed, we shall jump in. An epic battle. The Siberium at the heart of it. Controlling data, strategy, decision-making. Clever. Very clever. Someone took it from the Cybermen, sent it back through time here in an attempt to change the future. <laughs> in an attempt to protect it from that. I can't give him away much longer. Then don't. Doc. Stop fighting. It's okay. Jack's warning! Jack is in here now, stuck in a house with that. Exactly, you didn't want us near it a minute ago. I've just been inside his brain. There's a supercomputer fused to his cerebral cortex. He's the only one who knows how to get that out. Don't let the Cybermen have what it wants. I know, because armies will rise and billions will die. Shelley's gonna die if that stuff stays inside him. Shelley's only one life against all those of us. What are you saying? How can you con condemn him to death like that? But is he, Ryan? His thoughts, his words, inspire and influence thousands for centuries. If he dies now, who knows what damage that will have on future history? Words matter. One death, one ripple, and history will change in a blink. The future will not be the world you know. The world you came from, the world you were created in, won't exist, so neither will you. It's not just his life at stake, it's yours. You want to sacrifice yourself for this. You want me to sacrifice you. You want to call it? Do it now. All of you. Yeah. Because sometimes this team structure isn't flat. It's mountainous, with me at the summit, in the stratosphere, alone. Left to choose. Save the poet, save the universe. Watch people burn now or tomorrow. Sometimes even I can't win. Our episode begins on a rainy, dark night inside Geneva at this huge fuck-off mansion uh, where Mary Shelley and a bunch of other people who are writers as well. Do you know who Lord Byron is? I'm not familiar. Um, Lord Byron was romantically involved with her stepsister, Mary Shelley's stepsister. I, I know very basic Wikipedia knowledge of this. I've right. written down like little bits of trivia about each person as Fair. the episode goes on, so I guess okay. I'll reveal more. Oh, spooky. Uh, <laughs> but speaking of spooky, they're kind of messing around the house, and they're like, oh, let's, let's read a scary ghost story. And they're like, oh, this is a spooky ghost story, as Lord Byron starts reading from a book. And we start going around the house as, uh, you know, little creaks here and there's a door that just won't open and things like that. And we're seeing that there's something something quite off. And then suddenly there's this loud bang, this knock at the door. Uh, and the assistant, the just general, the, the, the butler basically is what he is. He doesn't really do much and he dies later on. Spoilers alert. Uh, is like, oh, I'll, tell, I'll turn away whoever's at the door, Lord Byron. And Lord Byron goes, no, if it's a monster, I want to kiss it. Uh, and it goes to open up the door. Uh, when they open up the door, uh, lightning strikes and everybody jumps. And we see at the door, it's Jody and their companions. They all jump. It's a it's a really funny, 
cold open where everyone's like ah and then it cuts into the credits uh it's a fun way to open up the episode uh if not a bit yeah. silly you know i i really love the cold opens where you know you're, you're building up to a villain jump scare I mean, it just turns out to be the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite kind of cold opens. It always amuses me. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. And and also, um, if you notice, this is Grail's Mansion. And it's been used quite a bit in Doctor Who. Um, it's been used in The Angels Take Manhattan. It was okay. Jackie's, Jackie and Pete's house from The Rise of the Cybermen and uh, the Series 2 series finale, if you remember the... Uh, the, the, the doomsday it was used in doomsday right. as well which also okay. had ghostly cybermen and yes. it was also in the power of three apparently it's a very recognizable this mansion. Is a, a, a versatile mansion because it can be redesigned over and over to look slightly different because i didn't also, recognize it it was also used in the um sky one series the discovery of witches i only watched one episode of that but it, it appears within the first 10 minutes huh yeah. It's very recognizable. I don't know why you recognize it every time it's on screen. <laughs> it must be pretty cheap to rent out uh, yeah. <laughs> if it's used this often. And, and, and of course, it's in Wales. If, yes, yeah, of course. If, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jody and that, we open up the episode after the intro credits uh, to immediately where we left it with Jody and that at the door, which I think is pretty rare for Doctor Who, isn't it? To yeah. like have the cold open the, and then come back in immediately where the cold open left. Normally, the cold open is like a person gets attacked by a monster or something weird happens in the TARDIS, and then we cut to a different time or the doctor showing up or something like that. We never really go immediately back into the episode. If you remember, Series 11 was famous for not having cold opens, it would just start off with a theme song. So I'm thinking this wasn't written as a cold open, mm. it was written just as a general intro to the episode, but then. Chris Jivno was like, we have to write a cold open. And then she just kind of shoved a scene kind of along a bit. Could be. Could be. It works as a cold open, though. It works it as a cold open very well. Uh, but this scene, uh, Jody and that's like, hey, it's raining. Can we come inside, please? We're very cold. And um, Graham is like talking all old timey uh, because it's Graham and he's the comic relief and the best <laughs> companion, hands down, uh, for Jody's lot anyway. Um, until, of course, Dan. Dan yeah. is my favorite Jody companion. But uh graham is is pretty pretty decent uh and everybody is like hey can we come in uh and then when they go in jody's like okay remember the rules actually actually she shows the uh, because it's a chris chibnall ep run episode we need to reference russell t davis's era uh which is something that he loves to do we just had captain jack show up a few episodes ago uh in this season and so now jody's pulling out the psychic paper and being like hey we're this people and of course the psychic paper is not working because i mean really the psychic paper broke ages ago but i think at one point the doctor fixed it and she used she the, jody's doctor uses it quite a bit uh but it's not working because it got wet or whatever uh it's just it's it's just a reference you know yeah, the psychic paper is really inconsistent whether or not it works or sometimes it just disappears for seasons at a time. It's very mm -hmm. odd. But I imagine... I, I, I think it would be bad for written if it was like, oh yeah, they can't see the psychic paper because they're really intelligent. I think that's a better way around it by yeah. saying, oh yeah, it's wet. Because yeah. then... No, it's it's a bit of a shit device. It's just wet and breaks. And I feel like I feel like it's been wet before and still works. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 a really not useful piece of tech anymore. It falters quite a bit. Laminate um, it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
but basically they then go in they get invited inside and the doctor's like okay we're only going to be here for an hour uh remember we're not allowed to mess with anybody we can't talk about frankenstein we can't make out with lord byron we've got we've got to set these rules and we've got to follow these rules uh you know classic time travel let's not mess around we're just here to observe these are like the most creative people of their generation and we get to see them at their their peak you know at their pinnacle of their creative juices flowing and then uh the butler giving like an eye roll opens up the door to them messing around on the floor uh and then being like hey let, let's all we'll all we'll all do a dance uh and we just cut immediately to this dance and this dance really is just an excuse for them to gossip and get exposition out to the, to our main characters about who each character is and how they relate to one another, uh, which is it's a fun way of presenting exposition, I guess. Yeah, it works and it makes sense in the context. You know, you know, you just want to have a dance and you know, you just pre- present yourself to these strangers. Who, yeah, j- just by them being their effect in history, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> that's true with the Doctor all the time, though. Yeah. Uh, and I will, at the end of the dance, when Sturdy breaks it off, she's like, that was a lot of fun, but how about we write a really scary story? Ha <laughs> ha. And she pulls this amazing face. Uh, Jodie's performance in this episode as like this like awkward, dorky little doctor, it's her, I think she's really good in this episode. She's really expressive with her faces, which if you fast forward to like, you know, say uh, the Sea Devils one, she feels a lot more checked out than she does right now i think you know i think she's always giving a good performance but jody never really is given the amazing performance i definitely know she's capable of i think this episode gives her a bit more meat to the character you know we have a lot more darker stuff later on Mm -hmm. where she has to um i can't remember what she says with the whole siberian thing but she basically makes some dark decisions later on and her performance is really good when she's yelling at her companions and you know in the legends of the sea devils that episode doesn't feel written so she has nothing to attach herself to that doesn't feel like it was an episode honestly it's just like a series of of like flashing images yeah (laughs) it 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 felt like a movie trailer that just was 50 minutes long (laughs) that was weird a weird episode uh but they don't really want to to tell a spooky story in fact mary shelley's like no we're gonna dance a bit more uh and then as this is happening there's like i guess like a housemaid or whatever and also um graham's like i really need to piss Uh, and that's a large plot for graham (laughs) this episode is him needing to find somewhere to piss uh but uh he's like wandering around the house uh as is like maids i guess is what they are and one of them's walking through a corridor and a huge vast gets thrown across the wall and smashes and we're like oh no it's a spooky ghost as doing it uh you know it's this episode deals with a lot of horror themes and i think it deals with them really well i think if Mm. i was a kid watching this episode it would genuinely be like quite scary like because it's really well lit and lit uh and the ghost stuff's really fun and then when the cyberman shows up it's like oh shit you know like if if i would i would love this episode as a kid i think and later on, there's even darker stuff. Like it feels really intense for little, little kids, which is I think Doctor Who, Doctor Who should be occasionally. You know, not yeah. all the time, obviously, but every now and again, like once a season, I would say. Mm-hmm. And also, the sound design in this episode is amazing. Just hearing the rain and all that in the background, it's really effective stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 
but uh, Graham starts like walking through the corridors uh, and he asks the maid, he's like, hey, is there somewhere I can piss? Hello? And she's like, either doesn't speak English or she's too scared to talk to him. And he's like, fuck it, I'll find somewhere. There's got to be a toilet around here somewhere. Uh, and he continues exploring around the house. As he's walking through the corridor, we see a spooky lady lit by the window, just kind of standing there. And then like Graham like goes up the stairs and down, loops, gets looped around. And then the lady vanishes with the thunder lightning. And we're like, oh no, spooky ghosts. There's, uh, a, there's also a painting that falls off the wall yeah. and the hand pops out of it. The, the hand, I, I really like. The sound design of the little skeleton, like, the bones, like, crickling across the, the floor. Like, that shit would have terrified me as a kid. Like, just oh, the little God, crawly yeah. hand, you know? It's very... It's just facehugger vibes, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Uh, but Graham gets gets completely confused, and he's separated from the group. Uh, and everybody has this, like, little quiet chatty time with uh, or Yaz is chatting with who's the lady she's chatting with? I don't know who this character she's the one that's dating Lord Byron? Yeah, it's uh, Mary Shelley's stepsister so yeah. I can't remember her name, Clara? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've written it down but... Yeah, she. I mean she doesn't really do much. She's one of the the like historical people that don't really get up to much in this episode Yeah, uh, you know, she's just, she's just kind of there uh, but they ha- she has this conversation with Yaz about like you know people being strange or like who what they're like the doctors like and stuff like that and you know for me watching this episode i really didn't get the vibe of yaz wanting to date the doctor at all uh you know which is it's definitely something that they retconned in for flux i you know i don't think it was ever set up properly that this was the plan here i think it's definitely the plan even at the time i remember some people on twitter kind of rumoring that you know the doctor and jazz are gay or whatever yeah but like that's 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 just the internet the doctor's being gay with every companion according to the internet you know <laughs> but i i see it in a scene especially now you know when she's talking to mary shelley's sister and she's also in love with uh, lord byron yeah and they have a conversation about trying to get to somebody I suppose I I just I just still think I don't buy the relationship mainly because Yaz doesn't have a character, you know I have yeah. no reason to give a shit about Yaz at any point other than she kind of likes the Doctor but they have the worst relationship ever because they're both really mean to each other all the time, you know. Yeah, I don't. And they're I don't both. Buy the and they're both. They're both. Either. They're both really clingy, you know. You left me for eight months. I was in prison, Yaz. Like, you know, it's... I, I don't think it's a well-written relationship. I don't really buy it, but fuck it. Who gives a shit, honestly? You know, at this point, they we have are, one episode left. Yeah. Here we are with Yaz near the end of series 12, her second series, and you still don't feel a connection to the character, apart from the last episode in which um, she vaguely wants to commit suicide when she meets a, a police oh, yeah, yeah, on the street who stops her, but... It's not explicit enough, so a lot of people didn't catch that, and it's. I think it's why a lot of people don't like Yaz. It's. I liked that episode. I liked Yaz I like, in that episode. Yeah, I liked that episode as well. Every other episode, she just feels nothing. She doesn't feel like a character. She but that's, just feels that, like exposition. That's the issue with all the companions in this era. Like Graham is funny old man. Uh, his grandson is don't ride bike man. And then there's also Yaz, you know, Uh, and Yaz and Don't Ride Bike Man have fuck all to do in most episodes. Uh, 
you know, every now and then they'll say a funny quip or they'll do something vaguely helpful. And Graham's always just like, I'm here for funniness. And he's, he's usually they hit those beats pretty well. Uh, but then even like Flux. Uh, oh, my God. What's his name? Dan. Dan uh, yeah. is great. I love Dan, but he really doesn't have too much of a character other than I love Liverpool. Yeah, I, I love I love Liverpool, and I also love this lady. I forgot. I'm also about for I'm like also like episodes. I'm like a hopeless romantic or something. Yeah, you know. Um, and Yaz in Flux, even though she's the only companion left from those original ones, still doesn't have much of a personality. Her personality is I've been traveling with the Doctor a long time now. Yeah. You know. Um, it's just it's a shame. Whereas you know, I never thought the day would come where I miss Clara, but I miss yeah. Clara so much. <laughs> you know i miss yeah. her so much she had so much she had like my complaint with kara was she had too much character she was like so many things at once but mm. i i miss i miss her uh and i look back on clara with with much much more fondness than i did when i was a teen um, it's a shame because um chris chibnall can write for an ensemble cast really well like all the characters in torchwood yeah. feel like unique individuals they all have like different per- personality traits they all have storylines where I don't know what went wrong in Doctor Who. <laughs> that's the that's the confusing thing with Chibnall, isn't it? Because every now and then, even in Doctor Who, he'll put out a really good episode, and you're like, "Holy shit, you did it! Well done, keep going." And then he'll just fuck it, and you're like, "What? Why? What's going on?" <laughs> you know, there's just weird decisions. Same thing happened in Flux. Like Flux started okay, and then like it was a bit shaky. Then it got really good with those Angel episodes, and then shot the bed hard in those final episodes, yeah. where it just kept introducing ideas and not answering anything. And it's like, what was going on with this? You know, with this idea. Uh, but then he comes up with a really good one, like the Time Loop episode, and you're like, "Oh yeah. no, this was a solid episode." And then it's like, "Awesome, Sea Devils next," and we're like, "Cool, this will be good." And then it's just gibberish on screen for an hour like it makes no sense you know the sea devils episode is the only episode we didn't really cover at the time because we're just sitting here for like 15 minutes being like it was a bit shit let's go through all the other jody episodes yeah it was just i just such a confusing like i couldn't i can't follow that episode it's so boring and so weirdly oh it's so bad that i think it's my (laughs) least favorite jody episode it has to be i really didn't like it we should recover it someday, just for shits and giggles. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the Sea Devils for, like, at least a year. We've done so many Sea Devil episodes. I'm st- I'm tired of them as far as villains go, you know? Hey, uh, we, have, we still have one more Sea Devil story. And we're with, with the Silurians in that one, so it's going to be oh, fun. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so the Doctor's kind of, like, scanning things around with her uh, sonic screwdriver as Mr. Lord fucking what's-his-name is like, oh, I'm going to quote some of my book stuff to you, Doctor, and the Doctor knows it. So this guy must be Lord Byron. He must have written books as well. Um, yeah. uh, any books I would be familiar with? Uh, let's look them up, shall we? Thought you said you did research on these people, you smelly man. I mean, I, I said I did vague research. <laughs> Lord Byron, uh, George Gordon Byron, the sixth Byron, simply known as Lord Byron, was an English poet and peer, one of the leading figures of the Romantic movement. Byron is regarded as one of the greatest English poets. He remains widely read and influential. Uh, known for such poems as Don Juan, She Walks in Beauty, Manfred, Mazeppa, Darkness. I don't, I don't recognize any of these. Bookwise, uh, the Corsair. The, I, I'm not big on poetry, but this dude Never was a poet. I. This guy was a poet, apparently. So if you're into poetry, you probably knew who he was. 
Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, but the doctor clearly knows who he is, and he's like, "Hey, by the way, doctor, I sent some of my guys out to go get your carriage that you were like that broke down in the rain or whatever, and there was nothing there." So who, which is, it's like a plot line he brings up that he never mentions again in the episode where he's like, I'm suspicious of who you are, doctor. How did you get here? And then he never talks about it. I know? mean, when there's ghosts and shit, you're, when you're dealing with ghosts and shit in your mansion, yeah. you kind of forget about the suspicious lady who just popped up for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, we then cut to, um, God, what's his fucking name? Ryan. Ryan. Uh, we, we cut to, we cut to Ryan, uh, poorly playing the piano, uh, as the doctor, their friend that's a doctor, not the doctor, but they have a friend that's a doctor. It's not, you get it. Um, Dr. Polidari. Yeah. Dr. Polidari, who I actually really like in this episode, uh, is getting really frustrated at Ryan's poor piano skills as, uh, Ryan's showing it to Mary Shelley. And he's like, it goes doot, 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 doot. Uh, my, my nan showed me it, and it's very good, but I'm really bad at playing it. Uh, and you should keep writing, Mary Shelley. Uh, it's it's a cute little scene. Um, as much as I have been shitting on the other companions and stuff like that this episode, I think Ryan's actually doing a really good performance. Like, yeah. Uh, he doesn't have so much. He doesn't have a lot to work with, but uh, I think he's pretty likable in this episode, which is saying a lot because Ryan's a really bland character, so he's really fucking trying. Yeah, the best part about the companions are the actors are really solid. They're all really charming and likable mm-hmm. for the most part. Well, I would say for all parts. I just think the writing is just very weak. But yeah, the Doctor Polidari is the creator of the vampire genre and he suffered with ah. depression, d- gambling debts, and he potentially committed suicide. Interesting. So yeah, which, which is why I think he's portrayed as a very bitesy man here. Yeah. Uh, we come back to the doctor. She's like, "Hey, your house has a very evil vibe. Like, it's totally weird." Uh, and we we cut away again because in classic Chibnall style, we're cutting fucking all over the place. Um, um, but yeah, he does. He starts quoting his own poetry, and the doctor's like, "Oh yeah, I, I thought that book went a bit long, but mm-hmm. he did. I did like the mention of Ada, and of course, the doctor met Ada in the opening episode of this series, Spyfall." Right. If you remember, she went back in time. This was the episode where the master got trapped at the end with the yeah. Nazis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she went back in time and met all these famous uh, female inventors and shit. It wasn't a great episode, but it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, then Graham comes back in and he's like, hey, they're quite a few years shy of inventing the toilet here, so where am I going to piss? And the, uh, the butler's like, there's a bedpan right here, sir. Uh, which, which, Graham doesn't piss this entire episode. You know? Just think about it. Every scene you're watching, it's just a guy that really needs pee. You know? And, and, and also, he's listening to all the rain hitting the windows. Yeah. That's got yeah. to add to it, man. Yep. Ryan died for our sins. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, the Dr. Pilatori was his name? Uh, yes, Pilatori? Polidori. Polidori. Uh, Dr. Polidori is like, hey, Mary Shelley is tired. Let's go to bed. And, uh, Mary Shelley is like, I'm not tired. I want to dance. I want to dance the night away. Uh, and, uh, uh, then Ryan is like, yeah, she's not the tired one. You look tired, ugly man. Uh, 
which you know really annoys this dude and he's like i'm gonna shoot you ryan i challenge you to a duel and i'm gonna shoot you in the face uh because <laughs> like, it's yeah it's a quick to anger yeah uh, ryan ryan does give a funny performance here when he's yes with the, the trying to protect himself yeah and, and when he says he's getting a gun he's getting a gun yeah uh i quite enjoyed their little confrontation and as the doctor goes not the doctor but you know the other doctor as he goes to to leave uh the door gets like burst open or he opens the door and jumps back by the little skeleton hand that's been crawling around the place uh and it's i think really good cgi on the skeleton hand like it is dated like it's aged really well it looks really solid. I think most of his special effects were like series twelve, series eleven look really solid. Series thirteen is kind of hit and miss for me. It, there's some really bad CGI in Flux, but yeah, this had the benefit if it wasn't made during the pandemic, whereas Flux was shot in the peak of the pandemic and like edited in the pandemic and stuff like that, you know. Um, and also, uh, the hand also attacks uh, Ryan and strangles him. It reminds me a lot of the opening episode Rose, where with the Autumn hand. Yes. Yes. strangling um oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah uh they just need a giant bin a giant plastic bin to put mickey in yes yeah <laughs> and then to get some pizza uh but everybody screams for help the doctor comes in gets the skeleton hand off and then the fucking butler destroys it with like he hits it with a pan or something it just absolutely explodes uh and the butler is really funny in this episode. Earlier on, when um, Polidari is like, "Hey, I-, I want you to help me fight him," and he just kind of sighs in the yeah. corner. It's yeah, it's it's like not overtly like look at this guy and laugh. It's very much like if you catch him doing something, he's usually rolling yeah. his eyes or something like that. You know, um, but it's, everybody... it's a lot. It, he reminds me a lot of uh, Giles from Buffy. Just a lot of sarcastic, dry mm. wit. Yes. Uh, uh, but everybody surrounding the smash skeleton hand and the doctor being the doctor and being this version of the doctor it's very similar to a matt smith quirk uh puts her finger into the skeleton dust and licks it and that's how she learns things um and she's like oh this is just a regular human bone that i've just eaten interesting uh <laughs> <laughs> it's a really odd quirk and i really hate it i really like it i think it's fun i think it's a fun little thing you know lick something and learn about it they got a smart tongue you know <laughs> it's better it's more fun than them just scanning everything with a sonic screwdriver and being like oh it's got x and x and x in it which she does do in this episode as well but you know at least I, it's I, like a bit it's a bit of physical acting you know and it weirds because it reminds you she's an alien I would prefer if, if she was just like, okay, I'm going to pick this up and just kind of dig around into the little uh, rubble. That's boring. Um, you know, what she, what, she can she can wrong. she can see like fucking like oh this is made off exactly these fucking like carbon particles, you know. Yeah, uh, I imagine her brainwaves at this point is just like you know Sherlock in the Moffat series, just all those like little images of her brain <laughs> just firing uh, off. Uh, I think I think the doctor tasting stuff is a lot of fun. I think even David Tennant licked a lot of stuff, didn't he? It's quite a common fucking theme to lick things, uh, <laughs> in in modern Who. Um, uh, take out as he want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're they're talking about spooky things and weird vibes in the house, and the doctor Pilladori. I'm gonna say his name wrong so many times until I remember it. Um, I wrote in a diner, I can't remember. Uh, Polidori. Polidori, okay. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Polidori is like, hey, the Lord Byron's to blame for all the spooky things in this house right now because he's got a whole skeleton. Uh, and they're like, okay, let's go take a look at the skeleton. And they go into his room 
Which which reminds me, I tried to Google this to see if he actually did keep skeletons in his closet or whatever, and all I could find is apparently he has a really big penis because we dug up his body and saw he had a really big penis. Good and for him. <laughs> that's, that's part of my research. Interesting. He had a big penis. <laughs> all right. Uh... <laughs> But they're they're going through his stuff and he's talking that he likes to collect old war stuff from like the 1400s uh, or even the 1300s. He says 14th century, so 1300s, uh, because it reminds him that, you know, we're built off the bones of fallen empires and, you know, yada, yada, yada. The doctor puts on this funny war helmet, uh, which has a great line later on when she takes it off. And she's like, I'm just taking this off for now. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll put it back on for protection later on, yeah. not because it looks really good on me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to be more specific, she's wearing a plume, which is which pops up in Doctor Who occasionally. William Hartnell wore a plume as the ah. first Doctor, and Colin Baker actually wore a plume in an episode, but he wore it in the Ark of Infinity, which is a fifth Doctor episode, meaning he wasn't the Doctor then. Colin right. Baker wasn't yes. the Doctor then. Yes, yes, it's a it's a whole it, it, it's a whole Capaldi situation, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they they bring up the 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 case in which the old soldier's bones are kept in, and they go, oh my god, a hand's missing. And then Lord Byron's like, nope, uh, second hand, the second hand's missing as well. There are two hands. Well, there's one hand on the loose now, but both hands were about the house. And they're like, oh shit, there's another hand. Uh, we then cut to Graham, who's been left in charge of looking after Polidori because Polidori's a sleepy man and very angry. Um, and so he's fallen asleep and Graham has to look after him. And some of the maids give him some sandwiches or whatever the fuck it is he's eating. And he's like, oh, good food. That's yummy. Yum, 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 yum. Uh, uh, and he's just sitting there having a lovely time by the fire. Uh, Yaz ryan and mary shelley go off i think everybody's looking for the hand at this point uh yaz mary shelley and ryan go off walking around the stairs to be like oh the, the hand's gotta be around here somewhere uh and then that's where we get the scene with the doctor taking off the helmet being like i want to wear it again because it looks super cute on me haha <laughs> uh and we cut back to mary shelley and ryan and that on the stairs and it turns out that they've been looping they're trapped on these stairs now and they're like how many times have we been here they're like seven fucking times we've been on this loop and uh, <laughs> this is where they get they start like hearing noises and stuff and they see this shadowy figure down by the doorway at the bottom of the stairs uh, which kind of like freaks and ryan has this great line where he's like okay okay it can't be you know we see things like this all the time there's a rational explanation for everything then like a loud noise happens and he just starts going a ghost it's a ghost there's a ghost <laughs> it's, uh which uh, he's like so it touched me the ghost got me and yeah like that was you touched me it was my elbow uh it's just ryan is quite good in this scene in this episode yeah, he is quite good and it's a shame he only lasts like three more episodes and he's like okay i'm gonna go off now bye i'm gonna go <laughs> I'm gonna learn how to ride a bike, bike yeah <laughs> in, into my ghost grandma <laughs> yeah um but um you skipped over a part where basically they're like oh yeah percy shirley actually suffers these big hallucinations about ghostly figures and this is based on real life he apparently suffered hallucinations nightmares sleepwalking for most of his life he once woke the household with his screaming over a nightmare or a hallucination in which he saw Edward and Jane Williams as walking corpses and himself strangling Mary Shelley, which mm. is brutal, which sounds it's tough. A, uh, it's a guy with some undiagnosed mental health disorder. Yes. Yes. Uh, but there's also, uh, as uh, we cut back to Graham, 
the uh, Lord, not Lord, Dr. Polidori. Polidori? Yeah. Yes. Dr. Polidori is like asleep and then suddenly he stands up and his eyes are open and Graham's like, oh, fucking sit back down. Uh, but uh, the doctor's not listening to him. He's continuing to walk around and he ends up walking through a wall, much to the surprise of Graham, who's like, oh, fuck, there's some ghosty things happening. And uh, yeah. Dr. Polidorni actually wrote the thesis on sleepwalking, so this is oh, why he's coming this character straight, which is interesting. Yes. Uh, also, I, th- I think I forgot to mention it when Yaz and that were on the stairs. They hear a baby crying, uh, and Ryan's like, please tell me that there's like a baby in this house. And uh, Mary Shelley's like, yeah, that's my son. We need to go get my son. Uh, and as that's happening, they cut to one of the maids opening up the door to the, the baby's room. And, like, taking the baby. Um, and, spoiler alert, those maids aren't really maids. They're, like, ghosts. And might legitimately be ghosts, as it's hinted at the end of this episode, weirdly. Uh, but, yeah, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but we cut to the Doctor, who is, I think, in the worst effect of this episode. She's stuck in a room with Lord Byron and Lord Byron's, like, fiancé or whatever the fuck. And she tried to leave the room, but she keeps coming back into the room. But... With the other looping effects, it's been done pretty well, but the way that this is framed, where it's it's like you're just looking into the room in like a flat point, uh, and Jodie runs out the door, basically just turns around and comes back in, and it's like, oh no, yeah. I'm trapped in here. Like, it's the it's just, it's really obviously how they did that one, whereas like with the Graham going up the stairs, and like appearing at the bottom, it's like you could either do that in a special effect where you like split the frame or whatever, or a more interesting way of doing that is doing it legitimately, having Graham go up the stairs, fucking dart round the house and then come out through the door again in one shot. You know, which is at least a like technical challenge. Having Jodie leave a room, turn around and come back in is not, it's not technically interesting, and it's not fun to look at you know yeah and even when we're doing um ryan mary shelley and yaz going up and down the stairs they have they have a shot where the camera is positioned on the lower floor and then we walk past the camera and then the camera pans up to the top of yeah. the stairs and suddenly we're at the top of the stairs it's yeah. really good mostly it's really good cinematography i think yeah it's just, it's just that one jody scene that i'm not yeah. ha- i don't really like how it's shot i, I would um, say i would say to improve that have her appear from the other side of the camera you know Mm-hmm. Walk, f- yeah. walk to the walk to the right and appear at the left. Yeah, or like uh, it's a much more difficult special effect to pull off. Follow Jodie through the door at least once, where she she goes through the door and then suddenly she's back in the room. You know, yeah. and it'll be this really trippy fucking shot. Uh, but it would be at least like a cool special effect that gets across the idea better than just having it like flat on and having her leave and turn around. Um, but as this is happening. Uh, Graham is like, hey, I'm in a room by myself now uh, because fucking doctor guy just left and walked through a wall and now there's two spooky maids staring at me. One of them's a child. Uh, and I think they're ghosts. Uh, and he's able to talk to Jodie through, like, the fire escape or, like, the chimney. She's, like, shining through the yeah. chimney and it's traveling through the house or something like that. Um, and and they're talking back and forth. And eventually the ghosts with Graham disappear uh and uh he's like you know polidori was acting like a zombie and he walked through the war the walls uh which leads to a really great bit where lord byron's like oh a zombie what's what's a zombie uh and jody's like oh it's like the like living dead basically like the dead come back to life but i don't think that's the case with polidori and he's like oh why don't you think that and he's like well 
Polidori's not dead. So, <laughs> you know, it's definitely not a zombie story. Uh, yeah, this, this, this led me to actually look up when the word zombie was first used, and it was first recorded in ni- um, 1819, so three years oh, after wow. this episode. And it was in the history of Brazil by the poet Robert Southey in the form of zombie without the E at the end. Interesting. Zombie. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we cut back to the scene with the doctor and Lord Byron and the lady that he's engaged to that really doesn't have anything to do in this episode. And she's like, oh my god, it's 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 it's, it's the doctor guy. He's just walked through the wall. Uh, and there's a really fun bit with the Lord Byron where he's like, be gone, demon! And then hides behind his fiance. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's some classic, uh, fake heroism comedy where you hide, the masculine man is hiding behind the feminine woman. Ha 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 ha. Uh, it is, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. Um. <laughs> As you sarcastically <laughs> laugh. Yeah. <laughs> then there's like a scream and the, the doctor guy wakes up, uh, and he's like, oh my God, how did I get here? And uh, Lord Byron, like, flirts with the Doctor a bit. And he's like, you know... Uh, and the Doctor's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. What did you say? And he's like, the thing where I was flirting with you. He's like, no, before, the be gone demon bit. Uh, and then, for whatever reason, that lets the Doctor figure out that the stuff that, like... There's, like, a perception filter on the house, basically. So the guy wasn't walking through doors. He was walking through you know, walking through walls. He was walking through doors they couldn't see because he was asleep. And so he wasn't thinking about it. He was just following instinct. And if they'd, like, just trust their own instincts of where they know a door should be, they should be able to open doors. And slowly we see that that perception filter is, is actually true. And the doctor's getting through uh into doors that were previously unseen and things like that and that's how everybody gets like down the stairs and things like that as well it's how they get out trapped out out of these loops that they're in is they're they're breaking this perception filter that's around the house and so everybody ends up back into the main room and it's like storming outside uh and there's like it's so weird why is everything so weird it's so rainy outside and things like that it's so weird uh and this is where we find out that uh this year specifically there was a giant volcanic eruption somewhere on the earth and there was so much ash Mm -hmm. it fucked the weather for an entire year and they called it the year without a summer uh because there's so much ash in the atmosphere and it just there's constant rains and storms and crazy weather when there shouldn't be crazy weather sounds like an interesting time honestly you know it's (laughs) I, we're probably due a big volcanic explo- uh, eruption at some point. When was the last probably. one? I feel like the last one was like 2013, 2012-ish. Uh, um, that launched out a bunch of like ash everywhere. I remember I remember on the news. Fuck. Last big volcanic ex- eruption. 2019. Yeah, but like I'm talking like one that like was like loads of ash. Well, that like, requires more research. I can't be arsed. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Oh, okay. 2019, yeah. Uh, 26th of June, 2019, Ulawan erupted, sending an ash plume of at least 19,000 meters, which is 63,000 feet. Uh, another a large eruption happened on the 2nd of August that year, sending another 63,000 feet of ash uh, up into the air. It was the first eruption from whatever volcano that happened there since 1924. Uh, so that's pretty cool. It's been a few years since we've had an eruption then. It's 2019. Yeah. So probably do another one pretty soon. Fingers um, crossed. We need to talk about one of the weirdest things of this episode. The we- kind of like creepiest thing of this episode is the, uh, the baby, the skeleton baby. Yeah. Uh, so like they're with Ryan in that when they get out their loop, they run into the baby's room 
and they they like throw the the blankets off and there's like a human skull and stuff there and they're like oh my god the baby's dead the baby isn't dead they've like taken the baby and put a skeleton there as like a funny prank or something but it's a pretty disturbing visual isn't it especially if you know the context of mary shelley mary shelley william is actually mary shelley's second child she lost her first child so of course she's going to be anxious at this time because thinking about her child being dead william her second child in this episode actually died at the age of four mary shelley in total had five pregnancies and only had one surviving child past the um age of four which is Extra disturbing for this episode to focus on a dead child so much. Yeah, uh, although I kind of feel like you know, back in the early eighteen hundreds, that was you, you had a lot of kids because yeah, that most of them were gonna die, you know. Um, but yeah, it still doesn't make it any less any less suckish. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty like it's a it's a pretty spooky visual that they quickly are like back foot on like, hey, it's not actually a dead baby. We just went to spook you a little bit. Ha. Uh, otherwise, it would be a really dark turn for this episode to straight up kill the baby. Um, although I kind of wish they do because like the baby doesn't fucking do anything, does it? Um, it would <laughs> it be a, it'd be Let's a bold, do something. It would be a really bold choice for them to kill the baby. But they, they backpedal on it quickly just to have that one scary visual. I mean, they, they, they go back to it with the Cyberman spoiler alert. Yeah, they go back to threatening to kill the baby, but they never actually do it. <laughs> Um, but the doctor's looking out the window once everyone's back in the main room, and they're like, oh, there's something out there, some sort of ghost that's like, it's not a ghost, but it's it's this time-traveling thing that's that's the reason that we're trapped in this house. Uh, and we find out that it's a Cyberman. Also, before this, we found out that the doctor, that people can't leave the house, and they never really explain why. It's like the doctor breaks the perception filters everywhere, she steps outside and hits an invisible wall. So there's just also an invisible wall around the house. Yeah, an um, invisible wall, but um, spoil alert for later on. I think I, I presume uh, Mary Shelley's brother is putting up the invisible wall to yeah. keep everything out and them from getting out as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, there's a Cyberman coming, and it's a lone Cyberman, and it's the one that Captain Jack warned them about earlier in the season. Uh, did they ever explain how Captain Jack had that information? I I don't know. I don't think we might have done it in the New Year's Day episode, but yeah, I don't. I, I just don't remember. Um, I, I I presume that version of Captain Jack came from the Doctor's future and knew about the Lone Cyberman. Yeah, potentially. I think the whole Captain Jack thing from like the fifth episode of the series was a bit bullshit. Like it, it felt like it was just pointless. Really, it was. It was a f- very fun cameo that was there just so he could give exposition and leave when they were like because obviously it was announced that he was showing up before he showed up because that's how the bbc liked to do things um and it was to me at least i remember thinking it was going to be a lot much larger part than one scene that lasts about 30 seconds like he literally just shows up gives exposition and leaves um and it was it was underwhelming uh it was it's it's nice to see captain jack you know if you Separating yourself from the recent allegations surrounding, um, fucking what's John his name? John Barrowman. John Barrowman. Um, it's always nice to see Captain Jack, and I, I, right, I'm putting money on we see Captain Jack again. I, it is happening. It's absolutely happening again. You know, Captain Jack when will be for, back. When? When do you think? Uh, no longer than five years. 
Mm, that's, I think that's fair. But if John Barman keeps on going on about how he was cancelled by the BBC and he keeps on complaining about how he didn't do anything wrong and all that shit... He's not said I, anything in a long time. He's been pretty radio mm, silent recently. And I think that's because he's he's probably talked to some PR people that are like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Uh, and, you know, give him back his job. Uh, or, you know, uh, to, to try and get some work again. Because... He at least he's, he has been tweeting something. Nothing he's been messaging has gotten into the mainstream for me to see it. Whereas like when he was like complaining about uh, the film old and was like we demanded a refund and stuff like that. Like he there was like a short period of time where he was just like constantly trending for the fucking nonsense he was saying online, uh, which that seems to have way settled down recently. So he I think he was just the pandemic was tough on everybody, but like he was going through something. Yeah, apparently he last spoke about it in March, that's from my understanding. Yeah, so... That's still relatively recent. Yeah, yeah, but it's been radio silence since then, and I think that's going to continue at least for until the end of the year, and then he might start making appearances on talk shows every now and then, talking about, like, his time in Doctor Who, a new TV show he's got coming up, maybe he'll get cast as the host of something, and then eventually people will forget, and he'll be in Doctor Who. I feel like I was just on Twitter a few months ago and I saw one of his tweets being like at a convention where he's like see um, cancel culture they still love me and just showing a room full of people next to him but it's like I, I don't know depends I need to go for his twitter feed dude and see I don't care spoke. enough I he'll, <laughs> he'll be back I don't give a shit he'll be back you know we'll see uh, absolutely he will be uh, but the Cyberman appears, everybody blocks it in, and then the Doctor very quickly explains what a Cyberman is for the people that don't know uh, at home. I mean, the the characters that don't know what Cyberman is. Um, uh, we also, this is where the um, fucking butler dies, where the, the Cyberman's like, are you the Guardian? Uh, and this, the guy's like, no, I'm the valet, or whatever he says. Uh, and then he just gets tossed, and he's dead, and it's very sad. Um but what do you think about this lone Cyberman design now that like he's here and we can actually talk about him? I fucking love it. It's like one of my favorite Cyberman designs because it's just so human at the same time. Yeah. If you go back to our Attack of the Cyberman review, I complained about how Cyberman usually don't look... Usually don't... Usually, for, usually forget, forget about, that they're like a human inside yeah. the, the Cyberman, yeah. Which, which here also they don't, which is a big mm-hmm. part of his character arc. Which sadly kind of gets dropped in the next few episodes. Yeah, wasn't he? He was like, I forget what his whole arc was, but he was like a kind of good guy, or he was like a dad, or they they briefly touch on it in this episode. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah, I like the design as well. There's bits I think they show too much of his face, uh, and that kind of takes it takes me out of it but i think it's mm. the guy doing it is really got a really good performance uh you know it looks like this war and torn cyberman the weird golden grilled teeth i'm like why would a cyberman bother to give himself golden teeth uh you know like he's wearing a fucking helmet uh but i guess it's just looks cool and lighting yeah. i guess um but yeah I, I like the design as well it's spooky as well it's like it's kind of like a zombie uh it's it's pretty it's pretty good but the Cyberman is now marching through the house because he can't get into the room. And he is near where there's this fucking crying baby and the maid that are hiding. 
and just the shot of the Cyberman walking through, like, I think it's like a library or something, and yeah. there's, like, no, no no light except from the light coming from outside, and the Cyberman's, like, silhouetted as you hear a baby crying. It's fucking awesome. It's, it's so good. Like, it's terrifying. Um, it and speaking of it being awesome, he then snaps the lady's neck, like, straight up. He just breaks her neck, and you, like, just dead. Uh... Which is where I'm like, oh my god, this is a bit too far for Doctor Who, but I love it. I love it. This is like, <laughs> this is like half seven on a Sunday evening in yeah. February. It's like it's really it's really pushing the envelope. It's such a strange time for Doctor Who to be, especially a horror episode. But yeah. he breaks the lady's neck and he picks up the baby, and he's like, oh, you're going to be a Cyberman. You're going to be like us. Uh, but he doesn't. He doesn't kill the baby, and that's a, that's a plot point for later on that they kind of like don't really explain why he doesn't kill the baby they start to explain it to be like you know we'll talk about it when the scene comes up but he's like yeah. you know you did kill the baby because you're human and he's like no i didn't kill the baby because i'm not human and it makes no sense but i i, uh, I think he says i think he says basically the, the baby is weak maybe he foresees that the baby will die of illness in like four years maybe but i fucking it's just they don't want to kill the baby isn't it you know they can't have the baby get killed on screen Oh, you missed out. Um, the doctor basically says, "I'm gonna go and find the Cyberman alone. Don't follow me. Don't go next to me because I'm not losing any anybody else mm-hmm. to the Cyberman." Which is a big reference to Bill, yeah. who of course died at the hands of the Cyberman in the end of series ten. Yes, end of series ten. Uh, but she she has the sad happy ending, like every companion kind of gets when they die, where she gets to live forever as a puddle, making out with her girlfriend. Um, uh, basically Maxine through this line in basically saying I think what really interested me was the burden the doctor carries of having been alive for so long to have faced battles and witnessed so much I wanted to see how that worked alongside the lightness Jodie brings to 13 and you can, it, 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 this is of course a fresh battle against the Cyberman for the 13th doctor because that mm-hmm. was the last time she met the Cyberman and of course it's going to be in her brain that I lost a companion to this fucking Cyberman. I'm not going to let it happen again. An underrated companion as well. I really liked Bill. Uh, it's really so really sad that Bill only got one season because Bill was really good. Um, really liked Bill. Uh, but uh, yeah, we cut to Yaz and that and they're like, oh, the doctor said to stay here. And Yaz is like, eh, technically she said don't follow her. So let's split up and look for clues, gang. Uh, as everybody just kind of listens to Yaz and, and takes off. Uh, and then we get a pretty decent scene, I think, with the doctor and the lone Cyberman where they're just kind of talking at one another uh, and trying to suss out what the other one's after. And the Cyberman's like, "Are you're not the guardian. You know, I've done a scan of you. You're not the guardian that I'm looking for. And you know the doctor's like hey maybe we need to work together maybe we need to team up and you know have a good time and then the cyberman like fucking punches a window and the doctor like cowers in fear very briefly and we cut away it's a it's a pretty good cliffhanger to the scene it's weird seeing the doctor scared of a cyberman though Mm. you know seeing the doctor like literally like flinch in fear as the cyberman's punching at her is it it doesn't quite feel like the doctor but it's a good scene i think here it's just that she's so unsure whether or not you know he looks half human. He's not completely yeah. converted yet, so maybe there's a human side to him. Could there's... be, could be. It's you know, it's just how many times has the Doctor fought the Cyberman for her to suddenly be like literally in a corner, like hands up, like oh god, fuck, I'm gonna die. You know, it, it, that doesn't feel like the Doctor to me. 
but the rest of the scene felt like the doctor where she was making fun of him for having a bad laser uh <laughs> like... I, I mean he made a very sudden movement just yeah out his arm and I, I don't think she was just expecting that she was she i think she was trying to reach a bit of his human side yeah 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 i i understand it's just the the way that that scene ends to me i'm like oh I, that's an interesting way to end it um but let's continue watching i i I think it really works though i think it gives the uh cyberman a scariness that they haven't had for years because whenever i see a cyberman we're like oh yeah for robots we're just walking around whereas here the doctor is scared of them which makes me a bit more scared of them yeah see for me i'm the opposite because we've seen the Cyberman so many times and the Doctor's fought the Cyberman so many times that she comes into it with this cockiness of like, you know, I'm kind of unsure, but I, I know how to beat the Cyberman. Uh, and she's she's chatting with them and he's like, you know, maybe we need to team up. Maybe we need to do this. I think the Doctor should be a bit more sure of herself still. a bit Have a bit more like cunning, you know, like she knows how to keep the Cyberman on the back foot at this point because she's fought them hundreds of times. And yeah, this guy is different and he's a bit spookier, but having the Doctor in the corner literally fucking cower to me mm. uh doesn't feel like something the doc like a companion fucking absolutely have a companion doing that um or like you can have the doctor scared of the cybermen as well it's just the, the the physical act of cowering in the corner from them uh to me it just feels slightly off but i can see i can see your reasoning uh so the uh we come back to the doctor as the cyberman gets electrocuted by lightning uh and we get a lot of exposition from the doctor all at once really quickly where she's like oh my god you're recharging and that's an unlimited power supply outside and you're manipulating the weather so that you can always charge up and have an external battery Whew! Uh, which is like really not information we need it could just be he's a robot man that stuck his hand out the window and he got electrocuted because he's like fucking uh you know just it was like a big electric man it's like if you hold a power like a big pole in a thunderstorm you know you're gonna get electrocuted uh yeah, but, this is when it feels like a Chibnall era episode where it's like, oh yeah, you need to establish what's going on. You need, you need to, ex- you you need need to, to overlay explain, explain everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, while this is happening, we also cut to our split up groups briefly where uh, I think it's Ryan and that are go off to the guy's room. Uh, uh, like Mary Shelley's husband, brother, partner, whatever the fuck brother. he is. Uh, is like... Uh, oh, there's a bunch of like papers and writings on the wall in this room. And meanwhile, Graham and that are going into the basement. And there's a, a very funny line with Dr. The Podatri. I haven't said his name so long. I've forgotten it. Polidori. Polidori. But Dr. Polidori's got this really funny line where he's like, is it too late to change groups uh, as they're going into the basement? There's this really great shot when they're climbing down those stairs of the basement where claire who's lord byron's like partner that doesn't do anything uh like walks away from graham and dr polidori and she's just standing there with the candle and then black uh and it's that's a really good shot i really like that shot where she just vanishes into the darkness you know this episode looks fucking amazing it really does it feels very cinematic it's very well lit the lighting in this episode is is very 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 good. Yeah, that's a hard balance because sometimes you want it to be dark, but sometimes it's too dark. But here, mm-hmm. I think it's just perfect. You can see everything, but yet the lighting is still effective. Yeah, uh, and in this scene, we're cutting back and forth a lot, so I'm really just going to talk about the scene in general. I hit my mic, um, where it's uh, Graham and that in the basement 
talking to Mary Shelley's brother who's been trapped down there and he's like I'm the guardian I'm the guy that Cyberman's looking for and meanwhile the doctor is chatting with the Cyberman and she's getting given the same information I think it's a really good way of having all our characters learn the same stuff without having to have separate scenes of them learning the same stuff or them telling yeah. each other the same things you know if they're finding out at the exact same time it makes it a more cinematic experience and you can cut back and forth and have it more sinister and stuff like that uh but i think i think it's pretty pretty interesting uh this is also where the doctor finds the baby that's just lying on the floor uh and i don't know i feel like the baby the whole baby subplot is just like they need they just wanted to have a baby because at this time mary shelley had a baby and so they were like fuck we have to write in a baby uh, like <laughs> i think it works i think i think it's fairly effective what they do with the baby i think it leads to a good scene with the cyberman yeah at least a nice dark scene with the cyberman for sure but uh, the doctor basically makes her way to the basement uh, where the entire gang suddenly is uh, chatting to, to Mary Shelley's uh, brother. And he gives even more exposition because we're, that we're in exposition fucking bonanza at the moment where they're trying to wrap up the episode. And they're like, fuck, we need to give away the entire story now. Uh, and Mary Shelley's brother was like just out for a stroll by the lake, saw a shiny rock touched the shiny rock that shiny rock was actually the siberium ai that somehow ended up on earth and it's like liquid metal that sucked its way into his veins and now he's got the entire history of the cyberman uh future past and present in his head and you know it's yeah. it's whatever I, i'm not sure how to feel about the whole siberium angle this is obviously a thing that chris chibnall wanted in the episode because it ties into the next two episodes i think the whole thing is very silly it doesn't make a lot of sense. What, why is there a Siberium? Why is there an AI that predicts knows or, knows the future? or like knows the future of the Cybermen? Yeah. Like, is it just from the really far future of the Cybermen and then gets traveled back in time? And if so, how does that happen? Uh, and why does the lone Cyberman want it? Just to have the knowledge of the Cyberman, I guess, yeah. to win battles. But it, it's, it, yeah, it's whatever. I think the effect for it holds up for now. In a few years, it's going to look like trash. Yeah. Because it it's fine. like this. It looks fine for now, but it's like this floating liquid metal thing, uh, and you can just tell it's going to date badly, but what are you going to do? Um, I, I, I like how the little flashback scene is. It reminds me a lot of Lord of the Rings, you know, where's the scene yes. where um, somebody's picking uh, up Smeagol. a ring from under... Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We also find out like that, uh, or this is where like the Cyberman comes to get uh, Mary Shelley's brother, and he's like, "No, be gone!" And he's manages to zap it, so he's got control partially over the Cyberman, but not really, because he's got like these vague abilities uh, and stuff like that. It's, I think the scene is good. I think the like it's the issue it comes in with a lot of Chibnall era stuff. The exposition overpowers the scene. Yeah. you know where i start checking out because i'm like jesus fuck i don't care about this like everything everybody's saying because suddenly people aren't they're just saying plot to each other rather than anything else happening you know yeah sometimes things are just better left off ambiguous because you can yeah. understand the intent if you just know oh yeah it's an ai that knows the future that's all you need to know that's all you need to explain and it's inside mm -hmm. him and you need to get it out but if you get it if you, yeah you just need to know basic stuff yeah um 
but uh, at this point, the doctor's like, okay, we need to get the Cyberman back and just give him the Siberium. Uh, at which case, all of his companions are like, hey, Jack said not to do that. And Jody's like, I don't give a fucking shit what Jack said. He's not here, is he? You know? <laughs> uh, and uh, Ryan's like, yeah, but if you do that, then like billions of people will die or whatever. And Jody's like, yeah, but if I don't do it, then this guy's going to die. And if this guy dies, thousands of people won't read his books and it'll change history forever and you will probably cease to exist. And I'm like, that's not really how time travel's been established to work here, you know, because they've like the doctor said before, like, you know, time has got like there's like you know fucking fixed points in time uh where things have to happen and besides those like everything can be kind of wishy-washy and still get away with it um which i think is a much better explanation because time travel and doctor who's handled so poorly uh ironically yeah just being like there's like six things in time that have to be done for time to be okay uh but this is i think it's a fine enough reason for jody to like be like no fuck it this is happening uh although jack saying like billions of people will die if this happens is that foreshadowing for flux where half the universe gets destroyed or is it just so. foreshadowing for Gallifrey getting destroyed again? It's, it's foreshadowing the events of the next episode where there's like a big Cyberman war and thousands of people have already yeah. died. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I don't remember the next episode at all. Like, I barely remember season 12. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But you, know for- what would, you know what would happen if Shelley died here? Um, Ozymandias wouldn't be written and the the best episode of Breaking Bad wouldn't be called Ozymandias. <laughs> wow. And there also wouldn't be that superhero in uh, The Watchmen yeah. called Ozymandias, yeah. Uh, he would be called, like, Steve. And and then the episode of Breaking Bad would just be called Steve. Like, uh, it would be a weird one. That would be. Yeah. Uh, but Jody's like, basically, sometimes, like, you're in between a rock and a hard place, and I'm just going to do what... I'm going to save the guy now and worry about the consequences later and try to solve it then. Uh, and there's no really winning in this situation, which I think is pretty good fucking, you know... Uh, I like it when the Doctor has to make an impossible choice yeah. and somehow has to try and come out on top, you know? And this feels like, to me, where Jodie Whittaker's Doctor is like, feels like the Doctor. You know, she has to make an impossible choice and her performance is so good here. Yeah. And it's a shame the next few episodes kind of let it down a little bit because... All I remember from the series twelve final is the master has given exposition to her, and she's well, standing, she's there, standing there. And yeah, then like, like, and then like, there's this random old guy who's like, "I'll kill myself," and Jodie's like, "Sound, bye," <laughs> uh, and she just leaves him to kill himself, and then like they win. Um, yeah. yeah, I remember the fun. I remember really not liking the finale <laughs> for season twelve because they fucking destroyed Gallifrey again. It pissed yeah. me off so much. Like, <laughs> although season twelve. Uh, this is when me and you started talking about starting up uh, the Who Watches Who podcast. Was, we, yes. we were like, because we were messaging each other about every episode, you know, because we obviously we had a lot of thoughts on each episode and we were like, oh, fucking, we should make a podcast about this. And then we were like, yeah, in a year. As we had to wait like a fucking year to do it. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> this is... It was this, worth it. Season 12, season 12 was the seed uh of this podcast being born because we had so many thoughts on chibnall and jody's era that we were like fuck it we should we should record them and and so far we've had hundreds of hours worth of thoughts uh just an insane amount of thoughts on doctor who it's all i think about yeah (laughs) so the episode continues when our big cyber boy shows up uh and he's like uh 
come to me, Siberium, come into my arm, I'm going to kill you, uh, to get the Siberium out, and Mary Shelley stands up to him, he's like, fuck off, pal, uh, I see that you're a human in there, and then also, like, she's like, oh, wait, are you, you're like, uh, more than one person, perhaps, an amalgamation of souls, a bit body parts sewn together, are you some sort of Frankenstein's monster, uh, <laughs> uh as she's saying it uh and she's like you know i know that there's a there's a soul in you uh because you saved my child you didn't kill my child and the cyberman's like god damn you're right i didn't kill your child because your child was a useless runt that's like you know weak and sickly which as you said this is a kid that in real life straight up died from being sick uh so pretty pretty dark uh and then the cyberman goes on to say that he killed his own children when they he slit the throats of his own kids he says specifically uh <laughs> when when they joined I, the I, resistance, like I, fucking... again, this is eight o'clock on a Sunday evening. This is a kids' yeah. show. It's, yeah, it's pretty grim. It's, 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 pre- it's really pretty dark. Yeah, it's pretty is, good. Which is perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. Uh, and he's like, I, I kill. I don't give a shit. You know, I'm I'm all about the Siberium. Uh, and he's he he goes back to trying to get it out of the dude. Uh, and then the doctor's like, fucking, it's not gonna happen. You know, he's not gonna give it to you without killing. I'm not gonna let you kill him. But I think I have a way of doing this. And she just, I, how do you think, like, what do you think about the way the Doctor gets out? I think it's a fucking huge cop-out. Uh, mm. They kind of explain it later on, where she's like, I did an old Time Lord trick that showed him his future death or whatever. But to me, it's a very deus ex machina power the Doctor's got to just get the thing out without killing him, you know? I would think most Doctor Who episodes are ending with deus ex machina kind of endings, <laughs> honestly. You really think about it. They do wrap up very suddenly. Um, Most Doctor Who episodes yeah. are like this, so I, I don't but, fault it for this episode. Yeah, the doc the Doctor touches behind his ear, and that lets him see how he's going to die. Which does he die by like drowning or something? Uh, uh, yes, he dies by drowning in like five or six years after this. Oh, interesting. Uh, but that causes the Siberium to leave, uh, and then when the Siberium leaves, they all, like, the house resets itself, and they end up in a different room. It doesn't matter. Uh, and then the Doctor's like, oh, the Siberium chooses me, and she sucks the Siberium into her hand, and she's like, oh, that's a lot of power that I've got now, it's, it's really good, you're gonna have to kill me to get it out of me, Cyberman, and the Cyberman's like, well, I've got a big spaceship up there, and it's gonna nuke the planet, uh, so give me the Siberium. And then the doctor is like, oh, but it's 1816. You can't destroy the world in 1816. Or can you? Maybe you can. Oh, God. And, like, I don't like that because the doctor should know 100% he could destroy the world in 1816. Like, yeah. again, time is fluid. There are fixed points in time, but time is... F- anything can happen at any given point that could completely change the, like, the timeline. So he could destroy the world in 1816, and it's not going to stop the events that happened. It's just going to create a new timeline that you're now on, you know? Uh which the the doc this doctor doesn't seem to understand that uh even though it was like rules that they established like previous in their other lives you know yeah maybe this is just a result of this is the first time she's the writer of this episode is writing yeah. science fiction and it's first time obviously for doctor who especially like a time travel story yeah yeah which yeah. is always complicated. Maybe Chibnall could have stepped in and be like, okay, this is the rules of time travel mm-hmm. in the show. This is how it works. Although, to be how... fair, Doctor Who is apparently one of those shows that doesn't have a show bible. Yeah. So he literally yeah. wouldn't be able to give her any... Like He could like be like, by the way, this is like kind of the time travel rules. But the thing with Doctor Who is there are no rules because it doesn't yeah. have a show bible. Uh, 
But, but it, if this was Russell T. Davis, I would imagine he would step in and be like, okay, yeah. this is how it works. This is how yeah. I'm going to rewrite your lines. You can yeah. rewrite it any way you want after this. Yeah. I, 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 the conclusion the Doctor comes to where she's like, I have to give up this thing because you're going to destroy the world. It makes sense. That's the conclusion the Doctor should come to because she knows the world. It's her not knowing that the world's going to get destroyed. That's the wrong part uh, because she should know absolutely the world could yeah. get destroyed at this point. Uh, but she gives the Siberium to the Cyberman and the Cyberman leaves and that's what i really like in this episode is it's an episode where the doctor loses you know the site the the villain comes in gets what they want and fucks off and the doctor is completely helpless to stop them really you know it's Uh, the empire strikes back of doctor who really yeah yeah and it's why i was so excited for his uh, two finale yeah 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 and then part two shits the bed uh like like i think i don't remember the cyber war uh the ascension of the cybermen at all but the timeless children finale i remember fucking hating so uh, <laughs> the, uh uh and then the doctor's like okay so that that's part one everybody's alive that's great and then part two is going to be me trying to fix the mistakes i made in part one uh and going off and doing that and then we get our big epilogue bit where lady breaks off her engagement with lord byron because he's like a total dick uh and we get this like little conversation with our main cast and mary shelley and stuff in the woods where they're like oh life is going to be lovely now it's going to be this this sweet old time and we're just going to go off and have our best best little time together uh while like holding a baby that we all know is 100 gonna die very soon uh and then everyone's walking back to the tardis and graham's like yeah okay but what about the 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 maid and the little girl ghosts and everybody doesn't know what he's on about and he's like you know the, the room got cold when they were there they were kind of like dead looking and stuff like that and then it's like oh no they those were probably just real ghosts uh and it's just it's a fun little bit that they don't really need to answer and it's like just adds that little bit of oh maybe the house was haunted after all spookiness to it which is like it's fun little kid story thing to add in isn't it I do wonder if that's a result of oh shit I forgot to write <laughs> the meaning behind this or oh if shit it's there's I couldn't I, I couldn't think of a reason for these characters <laughs> to be here so fuck it they were ghosts you know because they wanted to have the spooky scenes but couldn't justify why they were there whichever way is a clever way of writing around you know yeah. I, I forgot to write the end of this story yeah <laughs> uh it, it's good uh and then we get a poem recited by Lord Byron which I assume is one of the poems that he actually writ, or yeah, actually wrote. I'd imagine so. Uh, but it ends with this fucking excellent line uh, where it says, uh, she was the universe, as it's the shot of Jodie, as she like, looks down, looks up and smiles. And it's like a fucking excellent uh excellent shot scene that she was the universe lines perfect you know it's it's a really nice way to end the the episode that really is like oh no she is the doctor you know it makes yeah. her feel it makes her feel important again which you know doesn't often happen with jody's doctor there's not too many scenes where she get gets to feel like the doctor but this is a solid ending to the episode and, and also that scene in the tardis with her and her companions where she's like mm-hmm. okay you don't have to go with me because this is yeah. really 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 dangerous we never mm-hmm. really see that in Doctor Who, really. Yeah. Uh, but that brings us to the end of this episode, Scott. What did you think of the haunting of Villa Diodati? Definitely the best of Series 12. Probably one of the best of Jodie's era of as a whole. There's not a lot of pickings, really. Most episodes of her era are either bad or just decent. <laughs> but this yeah. one's this one's really solid i would stick it on like a halloween and just watch the shit out of it it's really effective horror and you know there's a full 
Uh, it's directed by a female. It's written by a woman. And of course, we, we don't get that much in Doctor Who. So it's nice to see. And mm-hmm. hopefully, she re- hopefully both of them return to direct and write more episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like this episode. There's, I have issues with it. Uh, but I think for the most part, it's really solid. It's probably my favorite from season 12 as well. I remember it fondly. Uh, it's a good spooky episode. It's not my favorite spooky episode. It It's definitely up there as one of my favorite Jodie episodes. There's not a lot of Jodie episodes that I'm like, that's a fucking banging good episode uh, that I'd want to rewatch. Uh, this one, I don't mind rewatching. I quite enjoy it. My only issue is I think it's a bit too long. I think all of Jodie's episodes are a bit too long. 50 minutes is just awkward timing uh you know there's just there's little parts of the episode where it's like this scene's a bit slow do we need it like you could cut out all that ghost shit with graham and have a 40 minute episode or at least a 45 minute episode you know uh the ghost stuff that literally doesn't go anywhere and even at the end they're like oh please oopsie just a fucking waste of time uh usually jody whitaker episodes for me are just too short usually it's like oh there's too many characters none of them got to do anything (laughs) no jody's episodes aren't too short they're just poorly written they're they're too long and they they try to pad out that timing by adding characters and adding storylines that don't go anywhere rather than having a tight 40 minute episode with one story they have a Mm. bloated 50 minute episode to hour and a half episode with 20 stories you know um but i think this is a really good episode uh and i think it's a really good way to kick off into next month which is our Chibnall month, where we are going to be looking at Chibnall's fucking stuff. Uh, and do you want to take us through what's happening? So next week, obviously, is our end of the news roundup. And then starting in September, Scott, what's going on September? In September, the first week. Um, so the f- for the first week of September. September? Jesus Christ, it's September. <laughs> <laughs> this year has gone by so quickly. <laughs> But for the first week, we're doing Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, which is his Matt, one of his Matt Smith episodes, which I remember being a lot of fun. I remember it being a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after that, we've got Torchwood Adrift, which is my favorite Chibnall script out of the entire franchise of Doctor Who. Okay. Which I hope that's not a high bar. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the final two weeks, we're doing Ascension of the Cybermen and The Timeless Child, and that's going to be interesting. Going to go back to those ones. It will be interesting to go back to those ones. Um, I'm hoping Chibnall Month's a jolly good time. You know, I yeah. hope it's I hope it's a good time, and hopefully, you know, uh, we're we're getting close to some centenary stuff. Maybe at the end of Chibnall Month, we'll have a trailer for the yeah. centenary special. By that point. You know, I know um, next month's Doctor Who magazine, which is releasing at the end of September, will have a preview for the centenary special. Okay. So it's going to be released. Okay. Let me look up the date for that because I can probably four weeks from now. So it's on the 15th of September. We should get the new Doctor Who magazine and uh-huh. see whether or not the centenary special will be. Well, we'll see what's going to go on the spe- centenary special. Probably mm. stuff we already know, like, oh my god, look, Ace is here. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> yeah. But we'll see. Uh, 
so yeah uh next week though is the news so if you have got any doctor who questions or opinions what do you think about jody's doctor what do you think about the haunting ability of daddy what's your favorite jody episode you know what's your favorite chibnall episode do you even have one send us an email at who watches at gmail.com and we will read it out next week and answer it or tell you your opinions wrong or whatever uh on the news episode next week it's who watches at gmail.com uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook at Who Watches Who, on Twitter at Watches Doctor. Uh, you can find us on YouTube at Who Watches Who. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, this is available in audio form. Uh, uh, there's links in the description. We're really easy to find. We have pretty decent SEO. Uh, you follow me on Twitter at Cloth223. Also, follow me on Twitch. I'm streaming fucking every day at the moment, uh, Something Something Orange, and Scott's usually there, and it's a lot of fun to just hang out and play some games. Um, but until then, we will see you next week with our end of the month news roundup. Bye-bye. Bye.